Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. I wonder if you could turn to Matthew's Gospel, please. Good. Well, I'm, um, I'm really... I'm really excited to share part two of um, what I've called Our House. And um, a couple of weeks ago, in part one, I talked about uh, my gospel, our gospel. What are some of the um, core uh, doctrines we believe? Uh, what, What are our convictions? What, if you like are the foundations upon which we're building. And um, all of those things, as I said last time, I'm really conscious a lot was said, but there's also a lot to be enlarged and filled out and for us to see more of. Um, But it's a start. And, And today, in part two, I want to now talk about what we build upon that foundation. And I'm going to just take you on a bit of a journey through the book of Matthew... Uh, we're going to read two portions of Scripture. The first is, is, is through Matthew, and then we'll read a few verses later on in, in the book of Acts. But I want to start in Matthew, chapter 4, verse 23. I think the references are on the screen. There's lots of short uh, two or three verses here and there to take us through the book. So this sets the scene. And Lord, I just want to pray that as we read your word now, Lord... Um, your heart, your desire, your great plan for our world, for our lives will uh, dawn afresh upon us, that uh, lights will switch on in us today, our hearts will be enlightened, Lord, our eyes will be opened, Lord, and we'll see afresh this morning from your word, Lord. So, Matthew 4, 23, Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And then the news about him spread throughout Syria, so they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics and the paralytics, and he healed them. Chapter 5 and verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible, wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. Chapter 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom 
and healing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Chapter 16. Verse 15. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Chapter 22, verse 37. He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets depend on these two commandments. Chapter 24, verse 14. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Chapter 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hallelujah. What I'd like to do this morning... Um, is to describe, um, describe what I see and what this church, our house, can and must be like if God will accomplish all that's in his heart for us. Um, I know I've done that before, um, and without apology, I'm going to do it again. <coughs> Um, there's, a, there's a really key question in the scriptures, and, and I, I'm so blessed that um, at least two of those portions I've read have already come through in, in the worship this morning, the, the light, the house on the rock. I, I believe God is here to clearly say something to us. Yeah. Wise men build their houses on the rock. And uh, there's, a, there's a question in scripture. It comes in Acts chapter 7, 49, and, and, and the context... Um, makes clear it's a rhetorical question. 
but it's also a very, very penetrating question. And, and it's a quote from the book of Isaiah where, where the Lord says, what kind of a house will you build for me? Or what sort of a house will you build for me? Um, he doesn't really want an answer because he's making the point that we could never build a house for the living God to, to, to physically, literally dwell in. But it's a great question for us, isn't it? What kind, of, uh, what kind of house are we building? What kind of church are we building? Uh, what materials we, will we use? What will we build it upon? What will it look like? What will it feel like? Will the Holy Spirit be at home amongst us? Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is, is to be his dwelling place. So lots of important questions about what we're building and how we're building. And um, the, the word house as it's translated there in the book of Acts, is this lovely word oikos. Oikos. It's worth just saying that together, I think. Oikos. Um, and it has this very particular meaning of not, not just a building, but an inhabited building. It has to do with um, the people in the house. A household. The persons who form a family. It's a great word. And of course, every house, every household, every home has its own personality, has its own characteristics, its own feel, its own atmosphere, its own culture. There may well be some certain house rules that are commonly understood as how we behave in the house. As a boy, I just remembered this yesterday. All my friends' houses had a particular smell. Do you remember that? Yeah. It smelled different to your own house, didn't it? Whether the washing powder or the cooking or the, or the something. But, but I, I, I can think of certain friends. Maybe I can't quite do it as accurately as I used to. I can just remember what the house smelled like. Never smelled as nice as my house, got to say. Um, and then as our own children were growing up, one of the things we often used to say was, well, that may be the case, but we don't do that in our house. That's not the way our house functions. There was, a, there was a distinction about our house. Probably had its own smell as well, for all I know. So what kind of house are we building? And, and, and one of the things that we've, we've tried to unfold and explain a little over the last few weeks is that our house is an apostolic house now. And we've used that phrase... Uh, uh, I don't know whether we know all that that means, and, and, and I'm sure there's loads more to understand, but I do know a shift has occurred. A distinct shift has taken place. Things have moved for us, and we now are in a new dynamic. We have new opportunities. We also have some big new responsibilities some new ways, some new, um, new ways of doing things. And I'd like us to turn now to the book of Acts. I know Chris, um, Chris taught on this in the last few months, but let's just read the second portion of Scripture now as, as we just read again about this church in Antioch. And we'll start in chapter 11, uh, verse, verse 19. I don't want to spend long here because Chris did a, did a great job, but just to remind you some of the characteristics of this church. Those who'd been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as 
uh, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, Cypriot and Cyrenian men, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And then the report about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. And then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and found him and brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the time of Claudius. So the disciples in Antioch, according to, so, so each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea. And this they did, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. Chapter 13. In the local church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, the Cyrenian, Manaen, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them to. And then after they'd fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. And then if we could just go to chapter 14... They go off on, the, on, on what we call the, Paul's first journey. Chapter 14, verse 26. And from there, they sailed back to Antioch, where they'd been entrusted to, by the, to the grace of God for the work they'd completed. And after they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and that he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples. There are other verses we could pull from, but, but I love just to read those verses and see some of the characteristics of this church. It was pioneering from the outset. It was the result of mission. It was, it was made by mission. It was made for mission. It was international. There were, there were people from, uh, from different races and cultures there. It was people gathering. Large numbers came to the Lord. More large numbers came to the Lord. I love that simple description. He saw the evidence of the grace of God. What a wonderful word over the church. The evidence of the grace of God. They were really securely founded because Barnabas and Saul spent a year with them. Teaching. Building something strong. They were generous, weren't they? And, and, and they felt really connected with the other churches. And when there was a famine in Jerusalem, they sent their money there. They gathered people, but they were, they were sending of people as well. They released people uh, who the Holy Spirit wanted. And, I, and right at the end there, they come back to Antioch. And you suddenly realize, do you know what? 
this church and this, this, this apostolic group were in a close partnership together. Yes. They were in it together. That's right. It mattered to all of them. So, one of the questions that is asked um, several times of, of the Old Testament prophets is, what do you see? Jeremiah, Amos, Zechariah, they all, they all hear that question from the Lord. What do you see? God invites us to look into the future. God invites us to look into the heavens. God invites us to look beyond ourselves and try to describe what we see. It can feel a bit scary. It, it can also feel a little presumptive. Maybe some of it might feel a bit far-fetched. Some of it might, might sound too big, too good. But without vision, we perish. Right. And so, with no apology for looking ahead again, I just want to articulate some of what I see and share honestly hopefully share simply. I want to share with great faith, Amen. knowing lots of what we've seen, we've not yet seen. But believing in quantum shift. And believing my tongue has the power to create Amen. of life. Yeah. Believing that in speaking these things, we can establish, we can bring forth. And above all, I love this verse. It's in Romans chapter 4, verse 17. Knowing that our God can, listen to this, our God, listen carefully, folks, can call into existence things that don't exist. Wow. Our God can call into existence just as he did in Genesis chapter 1, can call into existence things that don't currently, in our minds, in our worlds, don't yet exist. God can call them into existence. So what kind of house? Please listen with faith-filled hearts. Are we there yet? Of course not. Can we build it? I'm going to um, just, there are seven characteristics of this house that I want to uh, highlight. There are so many things one could bring in. I hope this is a good, um, a good broad description. The first thing is this, it is a safe house. A safe house. The church I see is firmly established, very strong, secure, secure in our gospel. It's a base, it's a refuge, it's a hub, it's a stronghold, it's a strong tower. We're strong in prayer, we're good in fasting. The gates of hell cannot prevail against us. 
People find security here. It's a safe house because Jesus is at the center. Always central. Always up front. All about Jesus. Alpha and Omega. It's not about us. It's about you, Jesus. It's a safe house because Jesus is kept central. And it's a safe house because its leaders are faithful, honorable, trustworthy friends. And because it's safe, we can take risks. We can embark on a faith-filled adventure together. It's not that we play it safe, but we are safe. We're secure. This house, it feels exciting to be part of it. It feels significant to be part of it. It feels demanding to be part of it, to be part of this church. But ultimately, it feels really safe. It's a safe house. And then it is a house of commons and a house of lords. I never, I never thought I'd put that slide up in my life. It's a house of commons and a house of lords. It is full of all types of people. It's really vibrant. Its members are happy and healthy. It's colorful, it's creative. It attracts people from many nations, expressing a wide variety of gifts and passions. Vast numbers of ordinary people, commoners, and not a few of noble birth. People of great influence, movers, influencers in their fields of expertise, side by side, commoners, lords, ordinary, noble, all types, mixed together, side by side, making an amazing, potent mix and setting the scene for incredible impact. I'm just telling you what I see. And then it's a show home. In this house, there is demonstration of the kingdom, not mere words. Something real, something live, something powerful actually happens. Our lives are in good order. Our marriages work. Our kids do well. Kingdom ethics are worked out however challenging. It is a haven of health. We are healed and we're healthy. And people are set free from addictions and from oppressions. And true liberty is on display. A show home. True liberty is on display. And the members of this household love being ambassadors. Telling, inviting, and showing others. Representing Jesus. 
representing one another, representing our apostolic mission really well. A show home. And then it's a really welcome home. Has a huge passion for mission. A really big love for the lost. We do love our neighbors almost as much as we love the Lord. There's a widespread, commonly shared, burning passion to lift up the oppressed, to embrace the weary and the worn out, to come alongside those in need, to share our abundance with others. It's a house marked by kindness and hope and honor. A church with a a powerful, um, attractive invitation culture. Come and see, come and see, come and see. And a harvest that we have only dreamed of and perhaps been scared of. We've dreamed of it, and maybe we've even been scared of it. But it's a really welcome home. Here the lost are found. Here there's a very warm welcome for many who will be leaving behind ways of life totally contrary to the gospel, totally opposed to the gospel. And they find in this house a warmth and an embrace that makes that transition as doable as possible. Our doors are open. And the threshold says, welcome home. And then it's a full house. Because its numbers are going to grow much, much larger. As people are invited and reached and impacted and saved and added. And we'll love the crowds. Christmas 2018 will be a distant memory. We will have to think about enlarging our place. We may need to think about the way we meet on a Sunday. But we'll love it. It won't scare us. Annie will arrange it all. It'll be fine. (laughs) Special anointing, Annie. And then it's a powerhouse. A church filled with the power of God where there's great anointing, where our worship and our praise lift us into other realms and dimensions, where gifts of the Spirit are in operation. I see this church as like a launch pad, a launch pad, fueling and and igniting and empowering and, and releasing, launching, all sorts of things. Younger ministries. Launching people who've lost their way into a fresh hope. Where dreams are reawakened. A place, a, a place really and truly of, of rejuvenation, of refreshment, of restoration. A church that, that fills people with great fuel and launches them into their destinies. 
And in that way, it also becomes a storehouse of good things for the wider body. So much here. And we don't, we don't store it up to keep it. We, we store it to give it. We store it to release it. The barns, the barns are not full for long because we give it. We release it. There's a launch pad here. It's a powerhouse launch pad in as much as an apostolic team is formed and based here. Men and women who are raised up, men and women growing up in this house, others drawn and joining us. And like we read in Acts 14 there, the whole church, the whole church, the whole house is integrally joined and connected with that mission. The whole house sees itself as sent into the world. And Scott was on the money this morning because I believe that this place will be a launch pad for a new sound, a new song, new songs. And lastly, it is a, it's a real family home, a family house. Um, People look for houses sometimes, don't they? They say, we're looking for something for a growing family. A house suitable for a growing family. That's what this church, this house is that I see. A, a house, a family home suitable for a growing family. Because, because of what the Lord has said, I see churches planted by us as the overflow from this house. And others becoming joined with us so that our family grows in size, in significance, and in its impact for the kingdom. The Lord spoke about plantings in the east, looking to Nottingham, reaching into the north. I see other leaderships finding us and wanting to be joined with me, with us, and coming into a whole new season as the fog clears and the heaviness is lifted and blessing comes. I believe as Kerry um, spoke over me, I will meet with many people in their homes who will invite me into their homes because their hearts are open. The open heart will lead to an open home. This is what happened with Lydia in Acts 16. An open heart led to an open home And in that home, a church is born. And because of this, we will give birth to a new family of churches. Interconnected, interconnected spheres, but a distinct new family of churches of which this place will be the hub. I'm excited. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.